Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On this week's docket, the best is definitely blessed, but a fourth title fight versus Wolf, we'll see. The Korean zombie in a losing effort might have stolen the show in Singapore. And Sugar Sean minus 198, Cheetah, Cheeto, excuse me, plus 164, according to DraftKings, agree or disagree. All this and much, much more. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gorgeous George, and with me as always, some of the sharpest MMA minds in the biz. Joining me this week goes from MMA Junkie Radio, the SBC creator leads off today. Danny Segura is back. He's on my Mount Rushmore of people from the 305, and our international superstar reporter checks in from Morocco. It is Farah Hanoun. Sorry, she's in Amsterdam today. That's right. Nice. All right. Goes will be a two-sports star. He's going to handle the ones and twos this week. So let's get to it. All right. So this past Saturday morning, Max Holloway defeated Chan Sung Jung, a.k.a. the Korean Zombie. Holloway he, uh, unleashed a vicious right hand to Zombie's Dome and then walked it off. Let's hear your thoughts on the fight, the finish. And, guys, I'm hearing Holloway wants a fourth crack at Wolfskanowski. Should he ever get one? Will he ever get one? What would it take to get one? Goes, I know that's a lot, but you can handle it. Start off. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of is a lot. Um, the fight itself, it was fun. Uh, I thought Korean Zombie was a little bit more competitive than than I thought he was going to be in that fight. But, bro, when we start talking about Max Holloway again with Alexander Volkanovsky, that's just such a tough conversation to have because Max Holloway is such a great fighter. And yeah. uh, to, to kind of deny him that fight, like, we just have to look at this from different different perspectives, you know, through like as a business as well. It's going to take a lot to sit through another one, guys. Like it's not even so much the fight, you know, because the fighters are, are both good fighters and every fight has been entertaining. It's just like th this whole thing about like, aren't we here to, to find out who the best is? And we've already figured that out. You know, Max has had three chances. It hasn't gone his way. Even if we kind of play the card that, okay, maybe the judges kind of screwed him in one of them, he's still down 2-1. It's just, it's decided. You know, the only opening that could ever pop up in all this is if there were like a decline in Volkanovsky's performances. And then maybe we could say, okay, maybe they're, 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 draft, they're pulling up to the same level. Then maybe you could kind of sell something like this. But it's sort of been the opposite, right? Hasn't it been Volkanovsky? improving and if anything like this is one of the first times we saw uh max holloway days the way he was against the korean zombie the korean zombie landed a couple punches there that i thought hurt him so i think to maybe try and, and pull another fight like that like it'd be so difficult and if you look at it from a business perspective like what if you do it and what if he what if he wins what if max holloway wins were we gonna watch a fifth one like that's just way too much guys he's an amazing fighter max holloway is so is Volkanovski, but I just feel like they got to go their separate ways for now. All right. Well, he's 31 and he keeps wiping everyone else out. I think that's what makes it like it gets us to the point where we entertain it. But let's hear from Danny. Danny, what are your thoughts on the fight, the finish? That was one hell of an overhand right, man. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, where Max sits here, because, again, he's pretty great. But we just got Alexander the Great on top of him. Yeah. Uh, first of all, congrats to Max Holloway on getting a win over such a legend such as the Korean Zombie. And and like Goes mentioned, the dude just beats everyone but Volkanovski. Like he's clearly proving that um, he is an elite level fighter still. 
a lot of these fighters that lose their championship belt, they have very steep declines. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're losing to people in the rankings. But Holloway lost that number one spot, but is pretty attached to that number two. And that is very hard to do. It is very hard to do. And uh, you got to give him credit. But I 100% agree with Goes. Like, it, I think it's pretty clear right now who the best fighter is. And that is not blessed. That is Volkanovsky. And at this point is like a fourth fight. And, and the problem as well is, you know, some of these performances should change your perception on things, right? If you see Volkanovski starts having a lot closer fights and he starts getting on a bit on a decline and still champion, but things are getting a bit more competitive. And keep in mind, he's older than Holloway. And at the same time, Holloway's looking better and better. Okay, then you go, there is an, a factor of imagination here. We can maybe ima imagine a different outcome. But since these two have uh, last fought, Volkanovski just keeps getting better and better and better and just looks like he's achieving new levels of skill. While Holloway, he's kind of hovered around the same level. And I would say, as Ghost pointed out, maybe we even saw a slight decline against Korean Zombie. He did look a little bit slower, in my opinion. Um, his volume wasn't there. And uh, yeah, he just didn't look as sharp. Still a very good fighter. Went from A-plus to A-minus. But I do feel like he didn't look his vintage self. Now, keep in mind, he entered the event with a very heavy heart. Obviously, uh, the natural disasters that are happening in, in his island of Hawaii are, are completely horrible. And that would obviously affect anyone going into a fight. Plus the long flight. I think he had said it was like 16 hours of travel. All those little things could have contributed. So I'm not here to say that, you know, he's on a decline now. But I he definitely didn't look his vintage self. So uh, a fourth fight, I'm not into it. Um, I think the best thing that can happen to Max Holloway right now is for Ilya Topuria to go and, and, and beat Volkanovski um, or have just Volkanovski retire and call it quits in the near future. And he does have the time to kind of catch up. But yeah, no interest at all for me in, in a fourth fight between the two. All right. Great stuff from Danny Segura. We'll get to Fada in just a second. But yeah, Sean Brody in the chat room asks, will we take some questions? We do take some questions. I will read some of your comments. In fact, here's a couple. The bell says, sorry, Max, uh, doesn't need another title. Let's be honest. He lost three times, and it looks like you wanted to say, and I'm a big Max fan. Murdy Coots <laughs> says, I always <laughs> get tentative there with some of the creative names that I'm waxing myself. Max sleeps till for you and then gets another shot. Wow. So he's already uh, unlinking to Poria to Volkanovsky there. Yeah. And... Uh, Sean, we'll tie yours in in just a second. So, yeah, you guys can leave comments and questions. And now we'll go to Fada. Fada, your thoughts on the fight, the performances of uh, Max, I guess, more specifically. We'll get to Zombie in a sec. And where you think Max fits in this uh, stacked featherweight division? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with both Danny and Goes. It's a tough spot. I mean, a fourth fight is a hard sell. I mean, even Volkanovski joked about it and said, stop killing off all my contenders. I mean, he's not going to fight Ilya Teporia. It looks like that's the direction they're going to go with Volkanovski and Teporia. But, uh, I mean, Max, is, when you're talking about merit and resume and record, I mean, he snapped Arnold Allen's winning streak. He's, he's beaten everybody who's not called Alexander Volkanovski. So based off of merit, Yes, he would deserve it, but his problem is he's lost to Volkanovski three times. And as goes alluded to earlier, Volkanovski has looked fantastic as of late. We haven't really seen a decline in his performance or anything like that. In terms of Holloway's performance against Zombie, I feel like he carried the fight a little bit. He came in with a ton of respect for the Korean Zombie. I felt like part of him wanted this fight to be a show for the fans. He want, you know, Zombie came to win. He came out swinging. 
Holly yeah. seemed to stun him early, but then he would hold back a little bit and stuff like that until Zombie went straight for a firefight and Max is just like, all right, let's do it. And he ended up knocking him out. So I don't know if it was so much. I'm not ready to judge Holloway off of that performance. Like Danny said, he came in with a heavy heart. Uh, he had so much respect for the Korean Zombie. I felt like he just uh, carried the fight a little bit, if if you know what I mean. Like, And I don't mean that as disrespect to the Korean Zombie, but uh, I think he just wanted to go out there and put an entertaining showing for the fans while also... Uh, making sure that his dance partner looked good as well. And Max is that kind of fighter. He'll eat a few punches and give you 10, 15 more. He loves those type of fights. It's not like he's uh, not hittable at all. He is that type of guy that will lure you into those type of fights. And more often than not, he prevails in them. So uh, I think, you know, it was obviously the knockout was great. In terms of what's next, it's just such a tough spot. I would personally want to see Max explore lightweight just because there are so many fights out there at 55 he's he's a big name he's a former champion he doesn't have anything left to prove at featherweight i respect that he wants that belt back but i just feel like there are some fun options for him out there at 55 i mean not too long ago he skated by my interview with conor mcgregor i feel like that fight's on the table still for him and i feel like those type of challenges at 55 the name he carries and even if we're talking about like a Capori rematch, whatever it is, there are options for him at 55. But again, I respect that he wants that 45 title back. It's just as long as Volkanovski's champion is going to be tough. But hey, you never know. If Volk loses his title, Max is going to be the first one out of, unless Volk gets a rematch, to, to get a shot at the title. Yeah, uh, I think that's the only way, is if Max somehow winds up with the title through someone else beating Volk and Max beating that guy. Then we could see part four, but man, that that's just a tough sell. But Max makes it difficult for us because he keeps winning. Who's he taking out? Yair, Cater. Uh, I mean, not the Korean zombie. I'm not going to count him because he was basically going to retire. I think either way, we'll see. Arnold Allen was another guy that he took out. So it's like he's not helping us here in any way. Um, but, you know, it's funny because I don't know if we got to the topic last week. We might have. But I remember us thinking, gosh, was this like the matchmaking? Is this? Or on the UFC's behalf, what are they doing? Because he was like minus 800 or something going in. And then the fight plays out. It was exciting as hell, man. Both guys really, really brought it. I tip my hat to both. Here, I'll do it. All right. Let's move on. The Korean Zombie stated pre-fight that retirement wasn't automatic. Here's one quote that I grabbed from him. He says, I'll have to see how well I fight in the octagon. End quote. So he looked great to me. Uh, and of it. Had to do with that, he would have thought he would have continued. However, after the fight, he was more clear with his message of laying down the gloves, and he ultimately did. So we lost another one, and not just another one as in MMA fighter retiring from the OC, another WEC. <laughs> he actually had a couple fights in the WEC, so we lose another one from the WEC too as well. Guys, how would you summarize the significance of his career, and is he a Hall of Famer in the future? Danny, we go back to you. <laughs> Hard to summarize his career. Um, I mean, he. I feel like he did so much, and he is one of the most successful fighters to not win a UFC title. If you talk about um, what's attainable within your skill set, like it just seems like if, if you don't win a title right, maybe you're not successful, you come up short. But really, Korean Zombie has just – such a strong fan base. I would say that he's one of the best fighters to ever do it in the branding aspect. And I don't even think it was that intentional. It was just he was himself and he just happened to be so cool and so different that he just mm -hmm. left an imprint in every single heart of the of every fan. 
I mean, Max Holloway said it himself. He's like, our fan bases are very similar. Like, I don't have any haters. I don't feel like Korean Zombie has any haters either. Like, who hates Korean Zombie? You might not love him, but like going out of your way to hate on the guy, I think it's impossible. Um, most people absolutely adore a Korean Zombie, not only uh, because of how humble he is and, and how honest he's been throughout his career, but all the fights that he's given us, wars, I mean, that historic twister submission, uh, just so many memorable moments in the cage. Plus, he was just so damn cool. His walkouts, uh, his gear was some of the best back in like the 2010s, uh, his T-shirts, everything. Um, the dude was just so cool. I'd say if there was like a cool wing in the UFC Hall of Fame, he'd be right in it. As far as just in general of the UFC Hall of Fame, to be honest, uh, George, I kind of hate that question because um, I don't put a ton of stock into the UFC Hall of Fame. If it were an MMA Hall of Fame, okay, that'd be different. But we mm -hmm. see the UFC Hall of Fame. There's a lot of people that deserve to be there and they're not. And there's maybe people that don't and they are. Uh, it's a lot has to do with uh, where your standing is with the promotion. So, um Sure, if he's in it, great. Um, if not, I, I don't think it like is going to determine or change his career. Um, a great fighter, one of the most exciting fighters in the history of the sport, one of the coolest fighters in the history of the sport. And, uh, man, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss the Korean zombie. Dan, let me tell you how cool he is. About 10 years ago, it was – it may have even been UFC 100. I like your poster in the back. It was one of those. It was, it was a big event. I think it was tied into an international fight week at Mandalay Bay, where we used to have our studio. And the Korean Zombie was scheduled to be on the studio. And Junkie would release the primetime guest list, right? Everybody knew they'd be in the studio, so they'd come. Sometimes they'd get autographs from the fighters and stuff. And guess who went out of his way to come see the Korean Zombie? Uh, the late Anthony Bourdain was sitting in front of wow. the studio with his wife, who was a big jiu-jitsu practitioner. Yeah. And they were sitting there, and I told Goes, hey, we should try and get him on the show just for, you know, quick quick couple of minutes. But he said, no, no, I don't want to take away any uh, – what did he say, Goes? I don't want to take any, any spotlight away from the fighters or something like that? A little bit of that, but he also said, he goes, man, I'm just – he, like, sat there, he thought about it for a second, he goes, I'm just too nervous. And I was yeah. kind of like, really, with the amount of cameras that you get? Yeah. But he was just like in awe of the Korean zombie. And he yeah, he like, goes, you know I came what? here to meet it's the like Korean he, zombie. He talked himself out of it, and he's like, you know what, I better not. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it just shows how cool the guy is. I mean, his style was awesome. Just like everything about him was just so cool. It still is. Uh, even at, at 36, he's going to be a cool 40-year-old man too, like, uh, you know, in, in a few years. Tell me about it. Um, but yeah, he's just so awesome. Um, and he's also a guy like credit to him. A lot of people just, you know, as I did now, like give props because of his exciting style and all that. But he was someone that remember in WC, like he got knocked out by George Roop and like he was a very exciting fighter, but not much more than that. And along the way, he was able to evolve and become a contender fight for the UFC featherweight belt twice. And uh, through that process, he did it all while keeping his essence, keeping his style. We see a lot of guys uh, become elite, but through that process, become boring, lose who they are, who who their their exciting style um korean zombie was able to find a way to get better become elite while still being korean zombie and very few people can do that so props to him yeah and he had the coolest t-shirt back when oh, they yeah. could wear their own gear the walkout song is just amazing and what they did on saturday of playing that was like cool man the whole singapore crowd was amazing the whole night but then to give him that serenation on the way out 
that was awesome. And look, I'm not, and this isn't story time here, but just it's zombie. Let me get this one out too. So I see zombie years later. This was about two, three years ago. And I, uh, he's walking and, and I say, Hey, uh, how good is your English? Cause I didn't know if I had to slow it down or bring a translator, but I wanted to relay it, that story. He goes, no, no, no. Like kind of like uh, he's nodding. Like I understand. I tell him the story. It takes you two minutes to get out. Cause I'm glorifying it. And making it big and the great Anthony Bourdain and he's just kind of nodding his head, but he's not giving me the, uh, no way, really? Did he really say that? He's not giving me that, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there and then the translator happens to walk up. And uh, so then he walks up kind of like, how may I help you? And I'm like, oh, I'm relaying him that story. And uh, he asked him, and I think they had either had a few drinks or he was tired or something. And I finally, the gist of it was, did he understand what I told him for the last two minutes? And he goes, no. And so I had to <laughs> kind of almost retell it, and then he still kind of nodded off. So I'm not even sure he knew who he was or what, but the, the guy kind of did. And anyway, so the story kind of fell flat like I am right now as the host. And I'll throw it back to the stars, which are you guys. And now it's Fada's turn. Fada, the zombie, man. Put it in the words. Yeah, listen, I mean, the whole Hall of Fame discussion, I hate to bring this up every single time, but when they induct Cowboys Roney, it's like the rules mm. kind of changed a little bit. I mean – Zombie's a perennial featherweight contender, a former two-time title challenger, wins over the likes of Frankie Edgar, Dustin Poirier back in the day. Uh, he's always brought it. And, and I feel like the military service kind of harmed him a little bit because that's four years away, but he still was able to come back and, and, and have an impact. A fan favorite, very exciting fighter, a guy who was on, on top of the division for many, many years. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, if, if we're letting Donald Cerrone in, if – I know DC talks about how it would have been better if there were categories, but regardless, uh, I think, you know, if Donald Cerrone's in, why not have Chan Sung Jung in? He's he's a fighter that made people feel something. He's a, he's a guy that people love mm -hmm. to watch compete, fan favorite, very exciting uh, style, one of the best walkouts. I always run. I, I sometimes use, like, in between fights as a break to get a cup of coffee while I'm watching these fights in the middle of the night, but when I know Zombie's going to fight, I'm glued to the screen because he's got one of the coolest walkouts ever, so... Yeah, I think he has a career that he should be very proud of. I know he fell short. He talked about when he retired that if I'm not competing for the title, I don't want to compete anymore. I know he didn't want to be a, a gatekeeper or anything like that. And to go out off of losses to Holloway and Volkanovski are two of the greatest featherweights of all time, no shame in that. So he's definitely had a career he should be proud of. Agreed, yep. And Sean in the chat says, the zombie was a warrior for his country and the cage. We couldn't agree more, Sean. All right, goes. How about you? Uh, your thoughts on the zombie and the inevitable question: Is he Hall of Fame material? Well, the zombie. I mean, he's just provided us with so many memories. But I do hope that the right re the retirement does stick. I know sometimes fighters come back, but look, the guy's got gas in his tank. He gave Max Holloway a hell of a fight. He sure did. Uh, but you know, like Ferris said, and the zombie said himself, like if if he can't be champ, it's just not worth him doing. And if you don't have motivation in life to do something, that's when things get ugly. And you can't do that in a sport as dangerous as MMA, right? Like that could really, really cause some damage. And he's already done so much. You know, I don't know if you want to tarnish that legacy at all. Um, it's a strange legacy because if you look at the statistics, probably not Hall of Fame. But as Farah mentioned, you know, if we're going to let certain fighters in, then that kind of changes it. I, I don't see why he couldn't get in at that point. So I wouldn't be shocked mm -hmm. if something like that happened. But the the lasting effect that he had 
I think in an era where everybody's kind of wearing the same stuff, right? Like you're wearing the same outfit, you come in, you come out, there's a there's fight card every week, you get lost in the shuffle, right? It's not like back in the day where these guys had these identities, right? Like Chuck Liddell and his mohawk and his icicle shorts and Tito Ortiz with the fire on his shorts. But the Korean zombie was able to kind of hold on to a little bit of flavor that fighters kind of lose nowadays. They get they get lost in the shuffle, their personality, but the name, the Korean zombie, the cool shirt, you know, the walkout, all that. He was able to carry on and still have that identity. And I thought that was so cool. And there's not very many fighters that can do something like that. And I thought that was a, a, a cool thing for him to keep going and, and kind of not just be that guy outside of the cage, but be that guy in the cage too, right? He would back it up with his skills. So mad respect for the Korean zombie. I hope it is the last time we see him in mixed martial arts, but uh, hopefully, you know, he can, he could stay with the company a little bit and maybe be kind of like a brand ambassador or something because he did bring a lot of eyeballs onto the sport. Kind of like what Noguera is. I like it. Right. That'd be great. We're losing them little by little, man. There's not many left. But let me put it to you like this, guys. At one point, no, two points in his career, he was the second best guy in the division, thereby getting these title shots. Maybe the last one he caught a break, obviously, because it was an injury and he had to slip in. Uh, But still, you know, he beat two former, two future Hall of Famers in Dustin Poirier and Frankie Edgar. I don't know, man. I think maybe he 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 does slip in. The, who knows? Maybe this will be a topic for a future submitting back. Like, what's your criteria for getting into a Hall of Fame? Do you have to just win a title for starters? But if not, then yes. And and I agree with Fada. It sounds terrible. We don't mean it that way. We think most of these fighters we discuss are great fighters. But the bar did kind of lower a little bit with Donald Cerrone. And so, therefore, you know, we other fighters, I think, can meet that bar. And there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, we can't but- call them contributors either because I feel like contributors almost takes away from them being an athlete, but they did contribute in a way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this guy probably mm-hmm. drew eyeballs for all of Asia, not just his country, but all of Asia. That's what Cowboy did. He made a lot of people feel something, and there's something to that. That along with winning fights and getting to a title fight, maybe there's something to that. Who knows? But have you ever seen in like the Hall of, the Hall of Fame for the NFL, right? They stand them out there. And I think to me, this is one of the defining moments is when you look to the right and you look to the left, there are absolute badasses standing next to you. You remember like whoever, like if it's Deion Sanders, you remember that dude shut people down. Like it was impossible to get catch a ball with that dude in the vicinity. Or if it was Bruce Smith on the other side, you just think how many times he mauled the quarterback. It's just the standard that is so far and above everyone else um you have to be able to do that and so like if you if you put the korean zombie in between like a george saint pierre and a habib Nurmagomedov or someone like that right like it just doesn't match up you know what i mean and i think that's such an important thing like the hall of fame has to stand for something it has to stand for greatness it can't just be there because people are popular or because they gave us a couple good memories and i know that's kind of harsh and can be sad but that's just how hall of fames work yeah, 100%. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll move on to the topic, right? and we'll let the yeah. chat bring in some questions. I'll try and circle back, even if we've moved on, uh, if you all agree with that or not, or you just want to share some thoughts with, with us about Korean Zombie's career. 
Thank you, Sean, for the nice comment about the MMA Jockey Podcast. We really, really appreciate that. All right. So the PFL finals are set. The fighters were responsible for who gets into the title fights. No politics. We have some surprises along the way. Some preseason favorites were sprinkled throughout the cards, slated for November 24th in Washington, D.C. I want to ask you guys, does this form of matchmaking appeal to you where, again, there's no politics involved, there's no super agents that can throw their weight around or anything like that? Example, you know, like the UFC division where you got O'Malley telling Vera, hey, if you don't pipe down, I'm going to ask the Hudo, you know, do this thing. Teammates that won't fight teammates, you know, things like that. This seems kind of fresh, right? Considering their roster, but could it be a little bit underwhelming, I guess? Diago Santos, Marlon Marais, Christoph Jocko, Julia Budd, Aspen Ladd, Maurice Green, Shane Burgos. Not in the finals. I'm sure the PFL and ESPN might have wanted it to be that way, but it isn't. So what are your thoughts on the way this has panned out for the PFL the last few years? The fighters dictate. Fada? Yeah, I mean, look, it's well, we say no politics. We almost had that with a call Shane Burgos, but politics gave us one of the best fights of 2023, right? So, yeah. uh, in the tournament, for that time, fighters will get injured, happen, and you won't. Some fighters will have easier roads than others. The usual suspects are there the Olivia Aubameyang, the Sadibusi. Uh, Larissa Pacheco, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what it is, right? The tournament format, it's rigorous. It, it comes down to who can uh, maintain. Sometimes guys will fight a certain way early on to make sure they're physically okay. It's to, it's part of the sport to see who can make it all the way to the end. And um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it won't deliver the biggest names, but uh, I guess it's just the way it is. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, sometimes... There are certain fighters. I mean, Anthony Pettis didn't have the run that the PFL, I guess, expected him to have. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw Kayla Harrison win win the the million dollars, but then she got uh, upset by Larissa Pacheco. Things happen. It's just a fight game. So uh, I think this format works for certain fighters depending on how they're able to maintain uh, throughout the season. Just avoid injuries and. Their fighting style, I mean, we've seen Olivier Aubin-Mercier, the guy has a specific fighting style that works for him. He's able to control and dominate guys and come out. I'm sure through training camp they get banged up and stuff like that, but he's able to make it and they're fighting for another million dollars. So it's just a format that works for certain fighters and not for others. So um, I don't know. It may not deliver the biggest names, but at the end of the day, uh, it's just who can go through the fire and, and make it. But like I said, we got a bit of politics. I know some people were not happy with Burgos uh, re-entering the playoffs because of what happened to Schultz and Nathan Schultz and uh, uh, Manfio, but it delivered one of the best fights of 2023. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. How about you, Goes? Uh, we've seen these guys since they were WSOF. They changed things around to now where they're PFL. Is it fresh for you, being that you follow other sports as well and the best move on, you know? Yeah, you know, when you put everything together, like what Bellator offers, right, with the Grand Prix and PFL with the million dollars and, and the season, um, there's so much MMA to, to consume that I like that it's a little different. It stands out. I've, I actually enjoyed the PFL this year. I think it's pretty entertaining. I think the system makes sense. Maybe a couple tweaks here and there, but everybody's going to have their ups and downs, but overall I thought it was entertaining. Um, but 
you know, what I like about them is that they're constantly making moves, right? And some of those moves may not pay off right away, right? Like we might see some crazy things happen in the couple of years with Francis Ngannou, Jake Paul, you know, they're signing a lot of boxers and who knows, you know, if Bellator comes over, that could maybe stoke the fires and these seasons can be even that much more entertaining or maybe they go away from their, their season format, who knows? But I like that they're constantly trying new things and that what they do over there pushes the UFC. And I like that, you know, it, it gives these fighters a place to go, another option. I think that's what we need in mixed martial arts. And boy, did it pan out. Like, you know, with that, that Burgos fight was amazing. And the thing is, like, um, you might look at a guy like Anthony Pettis or a guy like Shane Burgos and you might go, wow, that was a bust for the PFL. You know, it was it was harsh on Anthony Pettis and it was harsh on Shane Burgos, but I don't think it was a bust for the PFL. I think it worked out because we all tuned in. We all tuned into a great fight and and they move on, you know, and it showcases some of the fighters that they have that lets you know, like, just because you're coming from another organization doesn't mean you're going to rule over here. So I think overall the PFL is, is a fun product and, you know, there's so much MMA to consume that you do have to be somewhat different. And they give us that. Mm-hmm. Couple comments here. Sean says OAM will win again. Kasan Ganai will win at 205. C wins too, but PFL had too much roid problems. But like Go says, PFL makes moves. They have signed on USADA. I don't know when they start, but uh, they've signed on USADA, and I think that's one way of at least kind of cleaning up the process. Uh, it was unfortunate how things played out this year. All right, how about you, Danny? Are you a fan of all this? I know you've seen some PFL up close. When they've been in your neck of the woods in previous years, um, is it fresh for you to just let the fighters dictate, or do you like a little bit of the matchmaking that takes place traditionally? So at first, I was on board just because I think that through experimentation, you usually get the best product, right? Trial and error. Um, so we hadn't seen somebody, a promotion, or at least a big one, attempt this sort of format with uh, big names and big purses. So I was curious to see how it would um, pan out. And I'm glad that PFL tried it and that PFL exists because um, I got my answer. Uh, my answer was that the matchmaking model is far better than the tournament model. Now, um, I do think there is some room for tournaments. And this is where I would give a shout out to Bellator. I think they manage both systems effectively and they get the best out of both systems because there are pluses and a lot of good things that come from having a tournament. But solely having a tournament, I think it robs fans from a lot of fun fights. Um, and also, like, the whole point of bringing these big-name free agents is to use them adequately and properly in order to bolster your stars and also get a little bit out of them whatever st still star power and juice they have left in them, um, no pun intended, um, to, you know, make big fights and, and, and make your product more entertainment and appealing. But if your whole thing is just chuck these guys, these big names into a tournament and have them take L's, I don't think you're properly using them. And you spent all this money trying to acquire them and all these resources for what, right? Like ideally an Anthony Pettis with a big platform should be w waving that PFL banner, waving that PFL flag all over social media, being in big fights, being in big, uh, cards, but if the tournament system is just not going to allow them to get there, I think you have a problem. Now, it's not all dark. I do think there are some positives that have come from the the, the tournament, which is 
that we've seen all these UFC fighters come over and a lot of them, you know, maybe some are past their prime, but a lot of them have some some stuff left in them and uh, and they've come up short. They've lost to PFL talent. Now we look at a Clay Collard much differently, having beaten a guy like Anthony Pettis and Shane Burgos, right? So on that end, I, I think it does prove that, like, hey, look, PFL does have good talent and look at what they're doing. But if you ask me, I, I think in the long term, they have to stay away from the tournament. Um, they should do them, but also have the matchmaker model be like the their main way of making fights because there's so many fi fun fights out there to make with their current roster, but the tournament uh, format just simply doesn't allow them because it doesn't pan out the way uh, it should. Like, for example, like why, why didn't Julia Budd ever fight Kayla Harrison? That should have been her first fight uh, in PFL. That would have been big. That would have felt nice. But because of the tournament, she went a different route. Her career has gone a different direction. All of a sudden, that fight lost a lot of steam when it could have been big. PFL champion versus former Bellator champion. And the list goes on on those, those type of examples. So um, I don't hate the tournament, but I don't think it's the best way to maximize their roster and their resources. Danny, are you saying something similar to what Bellator does where they That's have exactly their arena series and then they'll isolate one weight class and do a tournament there? They'll give away some big money there. But the, the the train keeps moving, and that's yep. in essence in the other divisions. That's it. So the mixture I think like that has the best, yeah, the best blueprint on how to manage both things, even better than the UFC. I think if the UFC would sneak in a tournament every now and then, yo, you guys are OGs. Remember that flyweight tournament? Yeah, four man mm -hmm. flyweight tournament. That was yeah. fun, right? And that created yeah. rivalries and storylines. You do that every now and then. I think uh, you know you change the game up a bit. I think it gets exciting. But having solely be that your business model, I think. You're you're kind of shooting yourself on the foot, and uh, and uh, you're missing out on a lot of big fights that you could have made that the tournament just didn't present itself. So, um, yeah, I think Bellator's on the money on this one. Poor Ian McCall thinks it's a modeling shoot in the middle of the fight. He's sitting there waving to the crowd. If he doesn't do that, I wonder if things change up a little bit the history of that division. But I Fun do fact, remember that was my first event as a fan before I I, I was still in uh, college. I was just starting college. That was oh, UFC yeah? on FX3 in uh, Sunrise, Florida. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, look, I, I do like the freshness to it, but you just have to wait so long before you can see some of these stars fighting. And then the stars are what draw you to the promotion. Now, are new stars created? Yeah. Look at Clay Collard. Not only those two wins, but the Jeremy Stevens win, you would almost think he's he should be a bigger star, you know what I mean? But we also have to wait that whole offseason before anything else ha happens. And um, I, have an, I have an appreciation for Sean O'Malley telling Cheeto, hey, pipe down or I'm taking Cejudo next, you know. But there is some truth to some fighters just have that kind of pull. The UFC will kind of maneuver title defenses in a certain way, and that kind of sucks a little bit. Um you kind of want the best always fighting. But see, the UFC and Bellator don't really have a season. So they can wait things out or whatever, whereas the PFL starts and finishes every year. And so they have to go a certain way about it. But anyway, at least it's a compliment to the other two. Uh, fun season. The finals, again, November 24th in D.C. Here here are the uh, matchups, if you, in case you guys are curious. It's Impa Kasanganai versus Josh Silvera. Josh Silvera is homegrown. Kasanganai comes over from the UFC uh, and, and other organizations, of course, but that's primarily what he'll be known as. Jesus Pinedo, I think, is a new star out of Peru. He'll fight Gabriel Alves Braga. 
So Magomed, Magomed Karamov versus Sadabusi. So Sadabusi is kind of going, trying to go back to back. Magomed Karamov has won a title before. Uh, one of these guys will be a two-time champ. Clay Collard versus OAM, Olivier Aubin Marseille. Can you say that for me, Farah? Olivier Aubin Marseille. <laughs> Olivier Aubin Marseille. Ooh, yeah, that was good. And give me your like Romero, me Danny. Saying Joel Romero, that's like the equivalent. There you go. Look at these two. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, so that that's a good one because Collard is that star that needs that title along with all those skins on the wall. But OAM, he's tough, man. Hannon Fajeda against Dennis Goldsoft. And Larissa Pacheco against Marina Mocnantina. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that. Anyway, all right. Um, we move on to topic four. And now I'm going to interweave a previous topic. It ties in. Don't worry. Let, just wait. Here it comes. Alexander Volkanovsky had considered Aljamain Sterling if he won over Ilya Taporia. I found that out last week. How does that sit with you guys? Again, talking about the politics versus the results, right? Considering what we just discussed in this PFL, how do we find the right balance to matchmaking? So, more than anything, what did you think of what Volkanovsky said, guys, that he was actually considering Sterling over Toporia? Man, what more does Toporia have to do? He's undefeated. He's looked great. Goes. Eh, I didn't like it very much. It wouldn't have sat well with me if, if that would have happened. I've never really understood that, that thinking that if somebody uh, ruled another division – it just means that they can automatically go up to the next division and pull off the same stuff. I just think it means you're a very good fighter and you have a shot at being successful at a higher level. But to just kind of jump up and do that, and especially when there's somebody like Ilya Tuporia that's waiting, um, you do those types of things when divisions are kind of cleaned out. And that division's not cleaned out. It's been run through, but Tuporia's there, and he's got a great skill set that I think would make things kind of fun. It would be a good fight. I think he deserves that fight. So I wouldn't have been down with something like that. Now, George, you had kind of mentioned earlier in the show that sometimes fighters just, they can say things and it happens, you know? And I think Volkanovski has already gone up to 155. He made that happen. That was a, a very entertaining fight. So he probably threw that out there because he thought maybe that was worth more money. Who knows? But uh, I, I wouldn't want to be in a world where Tapoya doesn't get that that fight and he gets passed over by uh, Aljamain Sterling should, had he won that fight. Uh, that, that would have kind of sucked, you know. I think right now Tapoya is the guy. I think he deserves the, the, the shot. And I think he should be next. I think it's a good fight. And and honestly, I think he could give him a run for his money. I think that's a, a good fight. How about you, Danny? What do you think, man? If they would have passed up Tapoya to do that, that super fight, yay or nay? Uh, nay, but I wouldn't have been extremely pissed off because at that point, Algerman Sterling would have had four title defenses and a bantamweight, man. That's tough to do, and I think our perception on him would have been just uh, ridiculous if he would have defeated uh, Sean O'Malley. And and look, um, besides Topuria, there's really no clear names out there, so it's it's not like the line is extremely long, and you know you're skipping over five contenders. You're mainly just skipping one at this point, right? So again, I don't think it's ideal. Um, I I think this champ versus champ fights should align when. Uh, you know, the division's cleared and there's no clear contender. Okay, then you do it. You get a freebie and you get to challenge for a title, a weight class above without ever fighting there. Okay, that's fine. In this case, you know, they would have done wrong to Puria for sure because he clearly deserves the next shot. And I would have preferred that over Sterling. But again, it, it wouldn't have been like the most egregious thing in the world. So, um, 
So, yeah, I would say nay, but, you know, a soft one. All right. How about you, Fada? With that upset, well, with you, if they leapfrogged Ilya Teporia and done the super fight. Yeah, I'm on the fence with this one because I think it would have depended on how Aljamain beat Sean O'Malley. If he ran through him and it looked like similar to the way he beat Corey Sandhagen, and I know he was a favorite and it's a... Uh, something people envisioned as a possibility of how he could beat Sean O'Malley. Maybe if he ran through him and it was like dominant and he caught on the mic and cut a big promo and whatnot, then I wouldn't have hated it. But I've been high on Teporia for a while. I think he's a very worthy challenger of Volkanovski's title. It would have just sucked for, uh, for Teporia because it would have been a waiting game. I wouldn't have been a fan if he was forced to fight somebody else because why knock off potential contenders? Like if they would have booked up Teporia against Max and just risked losing a fresh face i think that would have been a mistake so all it does is kind of clog up the division but at the end of the day volkanovsky's been an active champion i know he did go up to yeah. uh try and get that second ball but he went right back down and, and fought yair rodriguez and looked amazing doing so so i can't really fault volk at this point in his career for wanting to do anything at all because i think volk has been a very good and very active champion and like danny said had uh aljamain won he would have extended his record title defense is going to be outrageous for me but um yeah even if you have to fight one more just because you don't want to risk losing him as a title challenger you know i wonder if all this just started back with gsp and anderson silva and if they kind of ruined it for us because now we want champions to fight each other but man they had put in some work we got a guy that defended 10 times versus a guy that defended nine times, and they both obliterated their divisions, and therefore we wanted to see it. Or even Penn versus GSP. Penn was doing some work at lightweight, and, of course, he had even come up to welterweight once and beaten Hughes. So mm -hmm. it's not like we, we were like, are you crazy? Are you sure you want to do that? But, and that's uh, a 15-pound jump too, George. Like in this instance, we're just talking 10 pounds, right? In yeah. that one, it would have been 15 pounds, and, and that's how – dominant both guys were in their divisions that we were even considering that that's the I one that remember, got away that's the biggest yeah. super fight that got away more I than john remember, Gano, i would say oh yeah i just remember um volkanovsky saying featherweights you're on notice i'm putting you on notice show me something and i thought when toporia won his last few fights that's exactly what he did so you would think volkanovsky would want to you know, match up with uh, someone that, that does that. And he brings an undefeated record with him, you know, like, plus Volkanovski doesn't mind being a road warrior, looks like to me. If that could be a fight in Spain, that would be tremendous. I don't know if Teporia if could get that privilege, you know, maybe he has to win the title first and then bring it back. But, and I'm not hating on Sterling, I'm really not. It's just he's got so many possible opponents, but I guess now that I think about it, he has beaten quite a few of them, and four yeah. would be pretty special, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. We move on. So I'm in Vegas. This one's right up my alley. Here it goes. Sugar Sean O'Malley minus 198. Marlon Vera plus 164, according to DraftKings. Does this sound about right to you? Remember, Vera finished O'Malley a little over three years ago. Are these odds spot on or uh, no? Which is kind of agree or disagree? Danny, you're up. I agree. I think they're they're pretty on point. Um, this basically a pick them with O'Malley having a slight edge. That's that's what these odds basically mean. Um, and I think that's right. I, I, you know, um, Chito 
has clearly gotten better since those two fought and has picked up very, very good wins and has clearly shown uh, advancement and level leveling up in his game. But I would say that O'Malley has done that and more. I mean, he just beat the most successful UFC bantamweight champion in the history of the company in Aljamain Sterling and knocked them out in the second. And it's also just the way he did it because a lot of people have this perception that you know, he, he's so poor in the grappling and has terrible takedown defense. He only has the boxing. But Sterling didn't even come close in taking him down throughout that fight, and he tried. He tried really, really hard. I think O'Malley um, is highly undervalued and underestimated. I think a lot of people value him because of his star power. But if, if that wasn't in play, just skill-wise, I do think he's a phenomenal talent, a very promising one as far as uh, being able to go on long win streaks and, and do great things legacy-wise. Um, the, the guy's really good. The guy's really good. So um, you got to give respect to Cheeto because he does have a win over O'Malley. And I do think he's a bad matchup for O'Malley. Like he's a tough fight for him. Um, so, yeah, you got to favor the champ slightly, but uh, Cheeto's definitely got a chance in this one, a big one. See, I thought with O'Malley's popularity and Vera's previous win, it would actually be a pick 'em. But man, I gotta walk. I gotta walk up with two hundred basically to win a hundred on O'Malley. That seems a little bit high to me. Whew, I don't know. Um, all right, how about you, Fada? What do you think of these odds that have come out courtesy of DraftKings? Are they spot on or uh, no? I think they're fair. Uh, you have to look at momentum as well. Obviously, O'Malley's win over Aljamain Sterling was very, very impressive. He did it in a way that I don't think anybody imagined. Not the idea of him knocking him out, but the fact that Sterling wasn't able to take him down and O'Malley gave him problems with the feints and movements and everything like that. Just a really great performance from Sean O'Malley. He lackluster performance against Corey Stanhagen, rebounded with a win over Pedro Munoz. Uh, Munoz has never been finished. It's not easy to look good against Pedro Munoz. I don't think too many people look phenomenal against Pedro Munoz. He's a guy who's always in the fight, who will always give you a scrap. So it was a good rebound win, but uh, based off of momentum, I know Vera finished him years ago, but uh, based off of momentum, I think the odds are fair. Mm -hmm. All right, goes. how about you? Agree or disagree? I kind of agree. I think they're kind of sort of right where they need to be. I mean, for once, let's just let the man enjoy being a favorite for once, right? Like, I mean, it rarely <laughs> happens. He finally gets it, and we're all over here complaining about it. But, yeah, he kind of earned it. It, it. it is difficult because you look at it wasn't that long ago that Cheeto Vera had his number, right? And they both improved since then. And really, this last performance from Cheeto, um, it's hard to kind of overlook that. And at the same time, well, it's not like O'Malley didn't do anything. He only took out. Uh, somebody that a lot of people considered the Bantamweight GOAT. Not all of them, but a lot of people did. So I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of pressure when it comes down to kind of making these types of statements and figuring out how that fight would play out if they did do that another time. But the one thing that you have to consider when you're when you're doing these odds is like you have to separate fighters from each other, right? And you have to look at the reason that I feel like Sean O'Malley was successful against Aljamain Sterling is because Aljamain Sterling gave him space. He gave him time. That is something that Marlon Vera just does not do. Mar Marlon Vera has no chill, zero chill. He's going to be in his face. And Sean O'Malley's got to figure out a way to deal with that and kind of make the adjustments. And the question is, has he gotten that together in his game throughout this time? Possibly. Um, you know, he's very capable of it, and he is getting better. So I think that's why you have to kind of favor him 
by a little, but not too much. I think once you get past like 200, then I think that's a little too far. Um, you know, as Danny said, Marlon Vera is no joke, and that that would be a really tough fight. If I was the owner of MMA Junkie and I told you three, I will double your salary if you correctly pick the winner of this fight. Who would you pick, Danny? I do want double my salary. Um, uh, O'Malley? Goes? I think I do the same. Yeah. Fada? I think I go with O'Malley. Against the guy that beat him. Wow. Okay. You guys are taking a risk there. What you're saying he's improved more or what? I I think he has. I, I think he's shown um a higher a, a higher level of evolution, but that's why this fight's so intriguing because what about Cheeto's jab? It's so nice in those legs. Yeah, it is it is. Cheeto's a bad matchup for O'Malley in the sense that like Cheeto doesn't get knocked out. I think he has the best chin in the UFC. When has he even been wobbled? When has he even been cut? Like, so, so you're not going to put him away with hands. I don't see O'Malley out wrestling, Chito. That's not going to happen. And Chito's going to march forward. He's a guy that performs better under five rounds. He's got great durability, great cardio. And uh, as he says, he doesn't give a fuck. So, like, he's just going to march down O'Malley. And if it comes down to durability, you bet your ass Chito's going to win. And we know that O'Malley has had some issues with durability, not only in the fight against Chito, but even just this fight against Algerman Sterling. He didn't suffer any damage in that fight. But leading up to it, he said he hurt his rib and that he couldn't grapple for six weeks. Uh, you never hear Chito about complaining about, about an injury. So if the fight gets tough, I do think the tougher man is Chito Vera. So, uh, man, I might just switch my pick. Just I, I think I just talked Ooh. myself out of O'Malley. I don't know. Dude, over five rounds, too. Like, I, I just can't. Both guys are so good. Like that, I, I feel like every round would feel so different in that fight. I might actually switch my pick too. That's double our salary, though, right? Are we I'm, I'm willing to double the salary if you just get it right. And are yeah. we going to double nothing though? Double or nothing, or just double the salary? <laughs> no, no, double the salary. You, you retain what you have if you lose, but you can double it if you win. Great breakdown, Danny. Um, I, I think deal. Chito- the fans win, and you give me fifty percent raise. <laughs> yeah. the uh it's gonna be a great fight i think that's the one that's gonna happen uh o'malley wants it who knows it'll, if it'll happen at 196 in december and now of course mcgregor's saying it's you know i am fighting on 196 which is a whole other mess if that happens we got to move on we're not talking to mcgregor on this spinning back click he somehow weasels his way in he's the biggest name in the sport i get it but we're gonna leave him out of this one let's go to the additional questions here uh did you guys catch this press conference with ksi logan paul dylan dennis tommy fury it was wild even mike perry was in the house so was uh john fury i believe was his name creating a ruckus holy cow as a whole is this good for combat sports what are the pros and cons we got to do these kind of quick though they're additionals fada your thoughts you like it or no i don't know how i feel about it but if we're seeing if it's good for the fighters themselves i'm who has the better in the spotlight without even competing than Dylan Dennis, right? And all of a sudden, it seems like people are on his side as he's about to go into his boxing match with Logan Paul, and we're doing odds of he's even going to show up, or I don't know what. So in that regard, if it, it's going to get you that much attention and that much money, and you haven't even competed since 2019, then I think it's probably good for the fighters. We all find ourselves. 
because I'm not going to lie. When they pop up on my YouTube, I know it's a job as well in Dennis's at MMA fighters, so people might disagree with that, but he is. Uh, but we, we, we do find, I do find myself like opening these things. I just watch them on the full send podcast. I'm not going to lie. I watch the whole thing. See, I'm guilty of it. That's what I mean. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, in a way, uh, it does bring a different kind of entertainment factor. It's kind of what we're seeing with Sean O'Malley as well. It's kind of like the younger crowd that are, are being pulled into watching this. So at the end of the day, if these guys can build a name, if Nate Diaz can go box Jake Paul, come back and get even more fans, uh, it's only helping um, their profile. So win or lose, I think these guys are, uh, the fighters are benefiting a lot. And yeah, like I said, I find myself tuning in here and there. I haven't watched every single interview, but I do find myself tuning in. And will I watch the, the boxing match? I probably will. So there's your answer. How about you, guys? Well, when you don't have wins and losses and statistics to back up the fight, uh, there's nothing really on the line, then you need heat. You need heat to sell the fight. And I understand why they're doing that. But I'll tell you one thing, man. If, if Mike Perry is the most chill guy in the room, you need to look in the <laughs> mirror and, and really get your act together, right? When that oh, dude's the most man. chill in the room. That's so true. You're right. It was yeah. pretty crazy. Danny, is this your thing or put it back on La, La Liga, Spanish premier soccer? La Liga always on, but um, I would say at times it's my thing. Like, I, I you know. At times, I'm interested. In this case, I am interested in in, in these uh, both both these fights. Some of the uh, of the other fights, I'm not. So it just kind of my interest just kind of comes and goes. Um, I would like to say that like boxing and MMA is sports entertainment. This stuff is entertainment sports. I feel like entertainment here comes first. So I kind of see it as a different thing. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily consider it or or have the same view as like, oh, I'm watching a sport here. No, I'm watching a show. I'm watching an entertainment that just happens to use sports as a mean to deliver it. Uh, so, you know, I'm not even bothered anymore by it. I don't think it's good for MMA and I don't think it's bad. So um, or boxing, whatever it may be. I just think it's its own thing. The disses, though, man. Look, Dalen Dennis is coming at Logan Paul's fiance. Holy cow. Yeah. I think that might be a bit much, but I also don't want to be the square that tells everyone, hey, hey, you kids get off my lawn. But no, seriously, like, what's that lady? What's that young lady got to do with all this? You know, like, you're fighting that guy. Can you kick his ass or not? Tell us, be creative, be funny. But I don't know that you need to bring her yeah. into it. Because that's when you start crossing lines. Guess what? Someone's going to cross a line and whack mm -hmm. when you least expect it. We got time for one more. Collard versus Virgos. We brought this fight up earlier. Is it the best fight of 2023 so far? If not, what is your favorite fight of 2023 so far? And where would you rank Collard versus Virgos? Man, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. How about you guys? We'll go with you first. Dude, I was going bananas during this fight. I was standing up. Um, it, it was pretty epic. And when you think about um, PFL and you have to attach World Series of Fighting to it, there's one fight that stands out that we just talk about all the time, right? Gagey and Palomino, the first one. And even the second one was, was good. And we kind of teased this a little bit uh, off the air. But that's the one fight, the rematch of Gagey Pal Palomino that I said, you know what? I am not going to have a credential of this. I just want to have a beer and a hot dog in my hand. This is going to be nuts. That was the fight. And I still think maybe that first fight is a little better than this last one. But, boy, this last one had me on the edge of my seat, man. I thought I, so far to me, that's that's the, the standing candidate. Mm -hmm. All right. How about you, Danny? 
Um, no, I, I still put Moreno versus Pantoja as the fight of the year for now, but I think this might be number two. Reason being is my criteria is always the action, and then there's a few other things that follow up. So both fights were amazing, but Pantoja versus Moreno was five rounds, so we got 10 extra minutes of fighting, and it was for a title, uh, for a championship belt, and I think that does weigh. Like, if you're having a fight of the night for a championship fight, that that just carries a lot more significance, right? Obviously, this was a semifinal going for a million dollars in the next fight, so it still had some significance as well, but no title on the line. So um, second best fight right behind Moreno, I'd put it. Moreno and Pantoja. Okay. Or should I say Pantoja and Moreno, right? Okay. Yeah, it's right up there. There were some uh, fun ones, uh, like uh, Danny mentioned, uh, Moreno Pantoja. There was uh, Vergara and Lacerda. I remember that was a very fun fight. Uh, Neil Rachmanov, uh, Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker. There are a lot of bangers mm. uh, this year, but I'd put it, yeah, for sure in the top five. Yeah. You know which one I really liked was Amanda Hebas and Macy Ooh, Barber. That was yeah, a great one, one. Yeah. It, it didn't even go the whole way, but they were rock 'em, sock 'em, whether it was on the feet, whether it was on the ground. It was really, really a great fight. But this one, man, I mean, this one was something else, especially because we often hear about, or see, I should say, that outside leg kick to the thigh from years ago, right? Debilitating. Then we got the, the calf kick. And then, of course, in between there, the peroneal nerve that can shut down a leg. But the way um, Burgos was attacking the inside of the quad, the groin, you know, like he was just going after it. And he was making collar switches stance. And then collar, of course, developed such nice hands when he took some time off and just boxed. It was really, really great. I think it was great for the PFL. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that that wasn't, you know, a final. Fada, you wanted to chime in? Yeah, one more, probably Volkanovski and Makachev, because like Danny mentioned, if we're yeah. talking about outside of action stakes as well, I mean, Volkanovski put on a performance that surprised a ton of people, and it was a bit of a cliffhanger towards the end. We've never really seen Makachev, uh, I mean, obviously, outside of his knockout loss to Adriano Martinez, uh, Martins way back in the day, but we'd never see him in such a compromised position towards the end of the fight, so I think that one should be up there as well. I encourage them to give us some questions and comments. Let me sneak in one. This one's for Danny. Aaron Blanchfield gets knocked out as she fights Grasso. Ten seconds. Yes or no? What do you think? No, no. But she she get beat up pretty bad. But Grasso is not. Grasso can knock out, but uh, she's mainly like you know volume type type striker technical. So um, you never know. All right, folks. You can help us out tremendously if you hit the like and subscribe on this video. We would really, really appreciate it. We do this show every week for one hour. It's live, and it's usually noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. But while Dana White Contender Series is on, which is for the next seven weeks or so, we will go live at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. In fact, that stream is going to start for the weigh-ins. I know a lot of you like to check that out on a separate stream here on this channel, MMA Junkie Video here on YouTube. Uh, you'll get the the uh, Dana White Contender Series weigh-ins for episode four of season seven. They're going to start here in about 20 seconds. So thank you all for tuning in. We will obviously see you next week. We have some uh, more fights to discuss. As always, this time it'll be Gone versus Tvivak, and Farah Hanun will be on site covering that for us. All right, folks. Again, hit the like and subscribe. Go to the next thread, which, sorry, the next stream, which is the weigh-ins. We'll see you next week. Go out and be a champion.